Thanks, Kayla. Well, if you'd be so kind as to turn in your, your handouts, your packets to pages 20 and 21, we'll conclude this riveting, unbelievably hopeful story of Ruth. So let me frame our time together. So if you remember, we began on Friday evening with a very, very tragic scene. There were two poverty-stricken, heartbroken widows who are traveling together on a dusty road from Moab to Bethlehem. Now, for them and anyone who knew their story, at that point, the future looked unbelievably bleak. Naomi had lost her husband and her two sons. And if you recall, upon entering Bethlehem, she quickly corrected the women who greeted her by declaring, do not call me Naomi. Call me Mara, for the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. And if you recall, at her side was her daughter-in-law, Ruth. Ruth was a Moabitess. She too had lost her husband. After 10 years of marriage, she had no children at that point, but she was fiercely devoted to Naomi. Now, as Naomi entered Bethlehem, she, friends, could not imagine, even in her wildest dreams, what would soon happen in her life. You see, for, for most people, a happily ever after ending it's just the stuff of fairy tales. You know, you know it's, it, it's, it's the plot line of children's bedtime stories. Real life doesn't work out that way, right? But for Naomi, I'll tell you, friends, get ready for it. The fairy tale is going to come true. And it's that happy ending that we are going to explore this morning. We are going to see hope restored in Naomi's life. I tell you, friends, what a way to end this book. And what a way to end this weekend. Hope is restored. And, and the hope that God restores is a hope that lasts. So if you're here this morning and you have felt or you are feeling like Naomi, that the hard and bitter hand of God has been in your life, I would gently urge you to lean in this morning and just listen well. Even as we close a, just a busy weekend filled with the, the promises of God, if you are still inclined to say, as Naomi did, the Lord has dealt very bitterly with me, then I would just ask you, listen to the word of God this morning and see with new eyes how God redeems and restores hope for his people. Let me just pray for a moment. God, thank you for a wonderful weekend. Thank you for stories like Ruth, these hidden gems in the Old Testament that pop to life and remind us of, of not only the heartache that is true, but the redeeming hope that overshadows it all. So, Father, even as we close out our conference, many of us, as you know, we're, we're, we're tired. It's been a long and a good weekend. Many of us maybe even transitioning in our brains to what needs to happen next back on campus. 
Lord, help us just to, to focus on your word, minister to us through it. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Well, let me read it to you. It's on page 20, just a few verses this morning as we close out the book, the end of Ruth, Ruth chapter 4, starting at verse 13. So Boaz took Ruth, and she became his wife. And he went into her, and the Lord gave her conception, and she bore a son. And then the women said to Naomi, Blessed be the Lord who has not left you this day without a Redeemer, and may his name be renowned in Israel. He shall be to you a restorer of life and a nourisher of your old age for your daughter-in-law who loves you, who is more to you than seven sons, has given birth to him. And then Naomi took the child and laid him on her lap and became his nurse. And the women of the neighborhood gave him a name saying, a son has been born to Naomi. They named him Obed. He was the father of Jesse, the father of David. Now these are the generations of Perez. Perez fathered Hezron, Hezron fathered Ram, Ram fathered Aminadab, Aminadab fathered Nashon, Nashon fathered Salmon, Salmon fathered Boaz, Boaz fathered Obed, Obed fathered Jesse, and Jesse fathered David. And we'll stop there. So if you look at your outline, we'll just go through three things this morning as we close. First, how God restores hope to Naomi, and then how God restores hope to Israel. Picture's getting bigger. And then we'll finally we'll conclude with how God restores hope to us. So let's focus in how God restores hope to Naomi. Notice that our passage begins right there in verse 13 with a series of very rapid scene changes. Let me just read verse 13 again. So Boaz took Ruth, and she became his wife, and he went into her, and the Lord gave her conception, and she bore a son. Friends, I don't know if you notice it, but that one verse covers a lot. It covers the engagement of Boaz and Ruth. It covers the wedding celebration. It covers the wedding night. And it covers the birth of their first child. So well over nine months and four major events are compressed into one single verse. But did you notice how the author quickly just mentions these things, he passes over these joyful occasions in order to focus us on an even greater joy that's happening. And that greater joy is God restoring hope to Naomi. Friends, you have to understand, this is his focus. The reversal of Naomi's bitterness is what is spotlighted here. More than a wedding celebration, more than the birth of a child, God's focus is on how he restores hope to the hopeless. The one who said, don't call me Naomi, call me Mara, that one will be transformed as God restores hope to her. How does he do it? Five ways, right on your outline, five gracious gifts from God's hand to Naomi to restore her hope. First, there is a direct gift. Now, I want you to notice, look at verse 13. Notice who is spotlighted there in the second part of that verse. Look what it says. And the Lord gave her conception. 
That may not seem pretty significant, but please, it is. Because only one other time in the book of Ruth does the author draw our attention to the direct intervention of God himself. And that was all the way back in chapter 1, verse 6. I'll read it to you. Naomi arose to return for the country of Moab, for she had heard in the fields, here it is, that the Lord had visited his people and given them food. Okay, so the first time in this book that we see God's direct hand is when he ends the famine of his people and gives them food. And the second time is here where God ends Ruth's childbearing famine and gives her conception. <laughs> These two events, they are the bookends of the book of Ruth. God's mercy in ending a famine and providing food, and then God's mercy in ending another type of famine and providing a child. And you probably noticed this weekend as we went through Ruth, in between the book of Ruth, it's a great story, but there's nothing overly dramatic. There are no miracles. There's no direct interventions by the Lord. There's just this hidden hand of God as he directs all things. And I tell you, even the women of the town realized that the birth of this son is a gift from God himself, not primarily to Ruth, did you notice, but to Naomi. Look at the first part of verse 14. Then the woman said to Naomi, blessed be the Lord who has not left you this day without a redeemer. May his name be renowned in Israel. And then look at verse 17. They named him, uh, oops, sorry, verse 17, where is it there? And the women of the neighborhood gave him a name saying, a son has been born to, and you expect him to say Ruth, right? To Naomi. So the first thing we see, how is God restoring hope to this bitter woman? There is a direct gift from his hand. Secondly, there is his faithful hand, right on your outline, his faithful hand. Now, as I just started to mention, one of the most surprising things about this closing passage in the book of Ruth is this. The focus seems to be on Naomi. I don't know if that surprises you, but you would think that the author would spotlight Ruth as this book draws to a close. I mean, after all, the book is named Ruth. And she is the new mom on the scene. But he doesn't. Did you notice that after a very brief mention in verse 13, Ruth is referred to only one more time. And that's indirectly right there in verse 15. You see it there? Your daughter-in-law. Meanwhile, Naomi is directly mentioned three times. Verses 14, 16, and 17. And again, I think that hits its height in verse 17. I won't read it again. But remember what they said? A son has been born to Naomi. Well, this really shouldn't surprise us. Because this has been the author's subtle but really clear point all through this book. Though this book is called Ruth, it actually follows the story of Naomi. 
And it traces the hand of God in caring for her. So here's a thought, you know, go back when you have a chance and just notice something. Notice that the first three chapters begin with an update or a word from Naomi. In fact, she was the very first person to speak in chapter 1. And then chapter 2 begins with, now Naomi, as the author revealed that Naomi had a relative named Boaz. And then chapter 3 began, then Naomi as the author records this advice that uh, Naomi had given Ruth about pursuing Boaz. That's the beginning of the chapters. Here's another tidbit. At the end of each of these chapters, it's marked with a hint of kindness from the Lord for Naomi. So, the very last verse of chapter 1 begins, So Naomi returned at the beginning of the barley harvest. And then chapter 2 ends with God providing for Naomi through the faithful labors of of Ruth. It's closing words. She lived with her mother-in-law. There's Naomi mentioned again. Chapter 3 ends with Naomi speaking and giving counsel to Ruth. So I don't want to believe it. But do you see the author's point? Even though Naomi had claimed that the hand of the Lord was against her, all Through this book, we see God's hand at work for her. So there's a direct gift. There's a faithful hand. Third, there's an end to emptiness. So remember that when Naomi had first arrived back in Bethlehem, she had made this declaration, I went away full, but the Lord brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi when the Lord has testified against me and the Almighty has brought calamity upon me? But it's clear as this story unfolds that the Lord had not forsaken her. Again, listen friends, you've got to see the contrast between this scene in chapter 4 and her arrival back in Bethlehem in chapter 1 that we talked about on Friday night. The same women in chapter 1 who had joined her in sorrow are now the same women who are joining her in her joy. Did you notice that? It's right there in verse 14. Then the women said to Naomi, Blessed be the Lord, who has not left you this day without a redeemer. Not only that, but did you notice Naomi is no longer empty? Remember what she said, I I went away full, but the Lord has brought me back empty. Now look at verse 16. Then Naomi took the child and laid him on her lap and became his nurse. She is nursing this child. The one who was empty is now full. Her arms are full and she is nursing this child. Not only that, Fourth thing is a faithful redeemer, a faithful redeemer. Again, verses 14 and 15, how the women exclaim that God has not left you without a redeemer. And look at verse 15, he shall be to you a restorer of life 
and a nourisher of your old age for your daughter-in-law who loves you, who is more to you than seven sons, has given birth to him. God provided Naomi with a redeemer. Now listen, this redeemer was not her, her legal redeemer. The, the earlier part of chapter 4, as Kayla summarized, made it clear that her legal redeemer was Boaz. But <laughs> this child was a sign from the Lord of his care and his concern for this grieving widow. And notice the details in verse 15. What would be this redeemer's effect in Naomi's life? What it says, a restorer of life. Again, what a reversal from chapter 1. Remember Naomi says, call me bitter. My life is over. But here, this redeemer is a restorer of life. And then it says, a nourisher of your old age. I tell you, what a, what a great image. Naomi had come back empty and hungry. But now this child would nourish Naomi. He would give her hope for the future and comfort in her old age. God is so gracious to this woman. He's given her a direct gift. He's shown his faithful hand. There's an end to her emptiness. He's provided a faithful dreamer. And finally, a worthy daughter-in-law. A worthy daughter-in-law. So, God not only blessed Naomi through this child, but our passage here makes clear he blessed her through Ruth. And that's the point of that latter part of verse 15 where it says, see there, for your daughter-in-law who loves you, who is more to you than seven sons, has given birth to him. So, we've seen it so far in the book. Ruth's love for Naomi has been an incredible display of love and kindness from beginning to end. From beginning to end. And Ruth's devotion had been used by God in Naomi's life to rescue this woman from near certain poverty and hopelessness. And I just think God's faithful hand reaches its height a bit in that phrase who is more to you than seven sons. Now, in that culture, sons were valued as protectors and providers. And not only that, but the number seven communicated perfection and fullness and completion. <laughs> so, do you see what the women of Bethlehem are saying, they're making an astounding claim. They're saying, Ruth alone has surpassed the ideal family with the ideal number of sons, seven. Naomi, you might have lost two sons, but by God's grace, you have gained a daughter-in-law who loves you and whose character and worth has far exceeded even seven sons. <laughs> Friends, here's the big picture. God is being faithful to his covenant promises in the life of Naomi. The, the, the story of Ruth is a story of how God is restoring hope to a grieving widow who thought that all hope would be lost.
So friends, how, how does this connect to us? If you feel as if hope is hard to find in your life, or maybe even that it is lost, please take courage and gain hope. God is at work in you and around you, even when you can't see it or understand it. Even these, these few verses here in Ruth 4 help us to understand God's mercy and grace. It's, it's not flat. It's not boring. It's not predictable. It could have been summarized in one short verse. God restored hope to Naomi. Let's move on. But we have all these details why? Because God's mercy is wide-ranging. It, it is creative. It is delightfully unpredictable, but it is unbelievably assured. There are five different ways that God is impacting the life of this widow to show her that he is a God who is faithful to all of the promises that he has made to her and to his people. Look at the quote on the top of your outline. Johnny Erickson Tata, Dave mentioned her yesterday. This is what she wrote. When life appears hopeless, hold on. Because hope is on the way. Your true father is the God of all hope. He has created you for joy and hope. It's coming. But you've got to hold on. I have another quote that you don't have. It's, it's, it's John Piper wrote this. A book of Ruth was written to give us encouragement and hope that all the perplexing turns in our lives are going somewhere good. They don't lead off a cliff. In all the setbacks of our lives as believers, know this, God is plotting for our joy. What a way in this book. I love the image. Naomi nursing her grandson. Her grandson's on her lap. It's filled with hope and joy. But I tell you what, you probably notice uh, the passage isn't over yet. It gets even better. That's right. Not over yet. See, the author of Ruth has a much bigger purpose in mind than simply telling us how God restored hope to Naomi. Here's your second point. God restores hope to Israel. Look at the end of verse 17. It says this, they named him Obed. He was the father of Jesse, the father of David. What an interesting insertion. So, just when you think that the story of Ruth and Boaz and Naomi is over, the author pulls back the curtain to reveal that the child sitting in Naomi's lap is none other than the grandfather of King David, Israel's greatest king. One writer said this about this transition. He said, suddenly, this sweet, ordinary hometown story becomes incredibly extraordinary. Now, the name Obed means servant. And 13 times in the Old Testament, King David 
is referred to by the Lord as my servant David, more than any other prophet or priest or king. Okay, so, so, so that, that's an interesting connection. Who would have thought, but, but, it, but it, gets, it gets even better. See, the author doesn't stop at verse 17. The story isn't even over yet. Because what happens in, in a very shocking way, the author, he closes this story of a bereaved widow and a, and a faithful daughter-in-law and a heroic husband and a miracle child with, of all things, a genealogy. Can you imagine? Hey, genealogy. And at this point, you, and I struggle with this, you may be tempted to tune out. It's sort of like reading the credits after the movie's over. Right? No one stays unless you know there's a preview for a future blockbuster lurking ahead. Well, I'll tell you what. The author's clear. There's a blockbuster coming. Look at verse 18. Now, the, these are the generations of Perez. Perez fathered Hezron. Hezron fathered Ram. Ram fathered Aminadab. Aminadab fathered Nashon. Nashon fathered Salmon. Salmon fathered Boaz. Boaz fathered Obed. Obed fathered Jesse. Uh, and Jesse fathered David. Well, <laughs> here the author is showing his cards. Like, in other words, this short book it's not simply a love story between Ruth and Boaz. It's not simply this, this heartwarming tale of a widow being comforted in her old age. Not at all. This story is part of God's grand plan of redemption for Israel, for the whole world. You see, picture yourself back then. No one looking on at Ruth or at Boaz or at Naomi, could have imagined the great drama of history that was being played out in their lives. But it was. God had a purpose far beyond them or even Obed. That's why many consider the climax of Ruth to be verses 18 to 22. Imagine a genealogy as the climax. But what happens in these verses is the author reaches back seven generations before the birth of Obed, and then he continues forward three generations to the birth of David, and in doing so, he is showing his readers something amazingly profound. That year after year, and decade after decade, and century after century, God was keeping his promises through good times and hard times and in times of plenty and times of want and seasons of grief and seasons of joy. God was at work. His faithful purposes are continuing uninterrupted, unhindered from generation after generation. I appreciate how Clint began us on Friday evening. Remember how the, the book of Ruth began with these ominous words, in the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land. And Clint helped us to see on Friday evening what a dark time that was for God's people. Everyone was doing what was right in their own eyes. Godly families were fleeing the promised land to go to pagan nations to seek their food. Famine had gripped the promised land of Israel. 
Even the very first character that we were introduced to in chapter 1, Elimelech, Naomi's husband, Elimelech, his name means my God is king. And you know what the first thing he does in the book? He dies. And just when you thought, just when you might have been tempted to lose hope in God, a book like Ruth comes along and reminds you, God's purposes stand. His faithfulness endures. God is at work. He's keeping promises. He's fulfilling promises in the most surprising way and in the most unexpected people. But it's even bigger than we might think. Because God's redemption extended even farther than anyone in the book of Ruth or the land of Israel could ever have imagined. Friends, believe it or not, God restores hope to us. You see, the author not only had Naomi in his sights when he recorded this tale, he not only had Israel in mind, but believe it or not, through the book of Ruth, the Lord God of the universe had you in his sights when this was written. And that's our last point. God restores hope to us. God restores hope to us. Okay, here is the clue. Where does all the action in the book of Ruth take place? Bethlehem. Do you realize that six times in the book of Ruth, Bethlehem is mentioned? You can't avoid it. Bethlehem. Bethlehem, 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 Bethlehem. It's more than any other times in any of the New Testament Gospels. And you see, the birth of this child, Obed, servant, foreshadowed the birth of another child. Centuries later, the one who would come as a true servant, who did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. See, the book of Ruth ends with the birth of Obed in Bethlehem and then a genealogy. The New Testament begins with the birth of Jesus in Bethlehem and a genealogy. In fact, the very first verse of the very first gospel says the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David. And, and as Matthew recounts the family line of Jesus, he, in his gospel, he writes this. You have it right there in your outline on page 20. What he wrote, Salmon, father the Salmon, the father of Boaz by Rahab, and Boaz, the father of Obed by Ruth, and Obed, the father of Jesse, and Jesse, the father of David the king, and Jacob, the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom Jesus was born, who is called the Christ. And that's why, friends, I, I, I love this book of Ruth. It's wonderful. It is heartwarming. It is stirring. But you have to realize the ultimate climax of Naomi's story happens centuries later when the eternal Son of God, our Lord Jesus Christ, was born in Bethlehem of the Virgin Mary. 
I tell you what, do you think it's amazing that the women of Bethlehem said, a son has been born to Naomi? You're like, how did Naomi give birth to it? She's an old woman. You know, it's even more amazing than them saying that a son has been born to an old widow. Here's something more amazing. Matthew tells us, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son. And they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. And this is the story and the lasting hope that the book of Ruth was pointing us ahead to. It's the story of Jesus, our true redeemer, and the faithful servant who lived the perfect life. It's the story of Jesus, our true redeemer, and faithful servant who died a willing death on the cross, paying the penalty for our sins so that all who trusted him could be forgiven. It's the story of Jesus, our true redeemer and faithful servant who was gloriously resurrected from the dead on the third day. It's the story of Jesus, our true and faithful redeemer who has ascended into heaven and now sits on the throne of David as king of kings, and Lord of Lords. Friends, this Jesus is our true Redeemer. And just like Boaz, Jesus willingly paid the price to claim us as his very own. He bought us for himself, not as it details earlier in chapter 4, with a well-worn sandal, but Jesus bought us with his precious blood. And friends, it's here It's right here as we end that you and I can find our hope restored by God. So how do we apply all that we've we've heard and read this weekend? Two things right on your outline. Rest your hope in God's faithful work in Christ. Rest your hope on God's faithful work in Christ. Listen, friends. As we journey through life, as you go through good times and hard times, and you will do both, as you walk through seasons when the hand of the Lord seems near and just very sweet, and when you walk through seasons when it feels distant and very hard, please remember what the Apostle Paul said, if God is for you. Who can possibly be against you? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Friends, you and I need to rest our souls on the only hope that lasts. It's the hope that's been secured for you and I by the death and resurrection of Jesus. I'm like you, friends. It's so easy to put our hope in what we can see and what we can touch. It's so easy to put our hope in people or things or grades or, or, or diplomas. But hope that is seen isn't really hope, is it? And a story like this reminds us that just when we're tempted to say, don't call me Mara, call me bitter. Just when that goes out of our mouth, the hidden hand of God is orchestrating our events 
to restore hope to us in ways that we could not have foreseen or even imagined. My family often makes fun of me in a very gracious way. I always, I'm always singing a song. Any of you like that? I'm always singing a song in my head. I always got a song. And when push comes to shove, if I have no other song to sing, there's always one song that's rattling through my head. I will not sing it, but I will say it. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust even the sweetest frame, but I wholly lean on Jesus' name. On Christ, that solid rock, I stand. All other ground, it's sinking sand. All other ground, it's sinking sand. So friends, rest your hope in God's faithful work in you that has been secured by your Redeemer, Jesus Christ. And the last thing is this, proclaim Christ to those around you. Proclaim Christ to those around you. So, very soon, we'll all be jumping in cars and vans and heading back. And friends, you and I are surrounded on our campuses, in our neighborhoods, perhaps even in our families, with those who have put their hope in what will fade and what will betray them at some point. And we have the tremendous, not only privilege, but responsibility to go with the message of a hope that will endure, which is the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so, even as you rest your hope in Jesus, move outward. Move outward to proclaim him to those around you. And so, even as we, we close this weekend, and it's been a wonderful time, I'm just praying that the words of the women in Bethlehem, what they said to Naomi, may be our words as well. Clint highlighted them on Friday. I'm going to bookend it by highlighting it here. It's verse 14. Blessed be the Lord who has not left us this day without a Redeemer. And may his name be renowned in Israel. Friends, he has not left you without a Redeemer. And so may God give us the grace to speak and to act so that his name would be renowned. Let's pray. Father, thank you for restoring hope to Naomi. Thank you for restoring hope to Israel. But thank you for restoring hope to us. Father, we're grateful that the story we read wasn't just a, a cute little tale of a woman who had been forlorn, now leaving encouraged, but it echoes down through the centuries and was fulfilled in the coming, the person, the work of our Lord Jesus Christ. Father, if you are for us, who could be against us? You who did not spare your own son, but gave him up for us all, how will you not also with him graciously give us all things? Thank you. You have not left us this day without a redeemer. Give us the grace to rest on him and to proclaim his name wide and far. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.